Well, I really appreciate Pastor Ted letting me come and share God's Word with you. As I mentioned, I've been teaching uh, some of the other studies, especially on the midweek there on Tuesday nights, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I've uh, been teaching about the gifts and all, but uh, this morning I want to share with you the message that I believe is the most important one for us to find other than salvation. It's a message that, uh, can I use the other one now? Okay, this one's on. This one I can get it rid of. Good. Message of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Years ago, Pastor Chuck Smith said that, um, told me that when you go out and minister and teach at another place, he said the best thing to do is to teach uh, the very thing that you want people to hear the first time you get to teach, in case they don't invite you back again. And so I want to read something for you about this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is by uh, Pastor Chuck Smith and Billy Graham. Both of them wrote much the same thing uh, in their books about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Billy Graham wrote in his book, his book is called The Holy Spirit. And he said um, that the, um, uh, the, the church, what the church needs is um, to be filled. Let, let me read it here. It says, uh, Our world needs to experience a renewal that can only occur through individual Christians who are filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and empowered by the Spirit. And then Chuck Smith, in his book, Living Water, which is the book that he wrote on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, said, I'm convinced that the greatest need in the church today is a renewal of the subject, or the teaching of the subject of the Holy Spirit. Only then will you and I be empowered to go into the world as effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. The only hope for our world or nation today is a spiritual awakening that begins in the church with a fresh movement of the Holy Spirit upon the lives and hearts of the saints of God. And this takes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word and thank you for this time we have together that we might study your word, we might hear from you. And Father, I pray that you would give us hearts to hear and then will to do what you tell us to do in your word. So anoint your word this morning as we speak, Lord. I pray for a clarity of thought and clarity of voice, Lord, so we might receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. That's what we're going to be studying from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We're going to be introduced to the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus introduced his disciples to the Holy Spirit. He's going to introduce him to the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14, verse 16, 17, and 18, a little capsule there for us to talk about the Holy Spirit. So we'll use that kind of as a launching pad to jump off into the rest of the study. But he begins by saying, this is Jesus talking, he said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it uh, neither knows him, sees him, nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And so Jesus introduces the disciples to the helper. Notice he calls the Holy Spirit the helper. And that's what he is. He's the helper. He comes alongside to help. But notice also, he said that um, he wouldn't leave us as orphans. And when I think of an orphan, uh, I think of two things come to my mind. One is a picture that I saw on, on TV some time ago when the earthquake in Haiti happened. And they pulled this little orphan boy out of the rubble. And his parents had died. His whole family had been killed except for him. They pulled him out. And here's this little guy, little skinny guy, and about, about this tall. And uh, 
needed help. He couldn't get out of the rubble himself. He was just wasted, been there for several days. And uh, somebody reached in and pulled him up and helped him. And uh, we need help. I think about my uh, son who lives in Colorado. They, um, he liked to raise black Angus cows. And one day one of his cows gave birth to a little baby bull. But it was in February and the temperature was zero. So it was very cold, freezing. And um, when my son was out waiting for the cow to give birth, and she didn't give birth, so he went back up the house. While he's up in the house, she gives birth. And when he comes back down, the mother cow had died in the process of giving birth. And so he picked up this little bull and brought it up to the house and washed it off, cleaned it off. And, and it was so frozen, they needed to help it to thaw. So they wrapped it up in a heating blanket. And... Uh, that helped a little bit, but he was still just shivering and freezing and cold. And so one of our granddaughters had this idea. Let's fill up mom and dad's bathtub with warm water and stick him in the warm water and he'll thaw. And so they did. They filled the bathtub up with water, stuck him in the bathtub. And the uh, problem is he couldn't keep his head up out of the water because he was so stiff that he would just slide back in. And so he's about to drown. And so our oldest granddaughter, fully clothed, jumps into the bathtub, slides her hands underneath that little bull's head and holds his head up so that he can breathe, and he did survive. And uh, they even put him in the mudroom, and uh, that's where he stayed for the first few weeks. And he began to think he was a golden retriever because that's where the golden retriever stayed. And uh, one day they discovered that when he was outside with the golden retriever, they threw a stick, and the little calf took off after the stick just like the bull... <laughs> The dog did. So, but they raised this little, little bull, and he became a huge, big bull. And uh, finally, they took him to uh, the um, county fair, and he won first prize in meat quality. Well, I'll tell you the story, because in that story, in that story, um, this little bull was dying. Just like you and I are dying without Christ. In fact, as the word says, we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. And my son went down and found this little bull, and he, he saved the bull. He picked it up and carried it up the house, washed it off, cleaned it, just like Jesus washes us off and cleanses us from our sins. But then the little bull couldn't manage to live by himself. He needed some help. And so my granddaughter got into water and helped him do what he couldn't do. And just like that, you and I need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit, first of all, to give us that help. So he won't leave us as orphans. He'll send a helper to us. And in these verses, Jesus uses two words to describe the help that the Holy Spirit does in, the, in our lives. They're Greek words. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have a computer that is, so it helps me a lot. And uh, the Greek word, we have two words. The, the, the Holy Spirit is with us and will be in us. And so the Holy Spirit is with every believer. He's with you before you become a believer, in fact. And the word with is para, P-A-R-A. That's the fancy Greek word. It just means to come alongside. And we use that today. We use that word para. We put it in front of another word, paramedic. And it means a medically trained person who comes alongside to help someone who needs help. So paramedic. Otherwise, you'd just be a medic. But if you're a paramedic, you come alongside. Another one would be a paralegal, someone who's trained in legal language, and they come alongside to help. So paralegal, para. At a men's retreat, I usually give them opportunity to give some ideas of what that word means. And 
They, where they could stick para in front of another word and would increase the meaning, and they'll usually come up with pair of socks or pair of pajamas or pair of shoes or something like that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about where the Holy Spirit comes alongside to help us. And the first way that he helps us is to convict us of sin. His first ministry to a human being is to convict of sin. That's his first ministry. So you get the idea that he's not just working with Christians, he's working with non-Christians, those who are not believers. He comes alongside to help them realize that they need Christ. I know he helped me realize I need Christ when I was 12 years old. I was in a little church in Costa Mesa, and they had a man preaching, a guest speaker, and he gave an invitation at the end of that message, and I received Christ as Savior. He comes alongside to help us recognize that we're in need of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from our sins. He's our Savior. And so the Holy Spirit helps us. He helps us by convicting us. Just so you have a verse for that, turn with me to John chapter 16, verse 8. John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, talk about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin. So his whole ministry to an unbeliever is to convict of sin. And maybe that's your, where you're at this morning. Maybe God has been convicting you of the need for Jesus Christ. Maybe you realize this morning, maybe you're watching us worship God this morning, and you realize that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you, just, you just come to church. Maybe, you, maybe you're here the first time. Maybe you've been coming for a while. But that's the Holy Spirit bringing you to that place where you'll realize that you need Jesus Christ in your life. You know, we can't convict anyone. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Years ago, my friend told me how they, he and his wife and his little daughter were down at the beach, down in Newport Beach, and sitting on a blanket, and the little girl looked over, and there next to the pier was a man uh, that didn't look too wholesome, and yet this little girl looked at mom and dad and said, Mommy, Daddy, can I go talk with that man? And they said, Honey, we don't know him. You should just stay here. And she thought for a minute and said, but mommy, daddy, Jesus told me to go talk with him. So they didn't want to discourage her from being obedient to God. And so they said, well, okay, but just for a minute or two, you come right back. So she got up, walked over and sat down next to the man and talked with him for a few minutes and came back. Great big smile, just beaming, excited. Mommy, daddy, I saved him. She had been witnessing to him when he received Christ. They wanted to correct her theology and they said, honey, you didn't save him. Jesus did. And she thought real hard for a minute and looked up at mom and dad and said, yes, but I did all the talking. <laughs> and he uses us. He uses our lives. He uses what we say to bring people to conviction. But then once a person realizes that they need Christ in their life and they open up their heart, they confess Christ as Savior, then the Holy Spirit begins to dwell in them. So that's the second word, in. We have the Holy Spirit with us. But then as a believer, we have the Holy Spirit in us. A non-believer doesn't have the Holy Spirit in them. He's not dwelling in them yet. Only after they come to Christ, then the Holy Spirit begins to dwell in us. In fact, as Paul writes in both of his letters to the Corinthian church, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. As a believer, your body has become the temple of God's Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. He lives inside of you. God's Spirit dwelling. Can you imagine? Think of that. God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit who hovered over the creation there at the beginning. The Holy Spirit of God. God. Almighty dwelling inside of you, taking up residence inside of you and me. That's the power of the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in us. So that Greek word for in is just in. It's just spelled in instead of in. So we have the Holy Spirit with us and in us. 
But Jesus didn't leave us there. He wants us to go a little bit further. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, we find Jesus who has died on the cross. He's been buried. He's resurrected. And he's getting close to the time he's going to ascend into heaven. And he's preparing the disciples for that moment that he's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to leave them. He won't be with them anymore. They won't be able to sit down and have a meal with them in the sense that they had before. They won't be able to, to bump up against them or walk with them the way they were in the physical. And so he's preparing them for that moment. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, we read, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then drop down to verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witness unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even Temecula. Well, that's not in there, is it? Anywhere you go, you're going to be a witness. That's what he's saying. So I want us to take some time and look at these verses, and then we'll go a little bit further. The third word I want us to consider is the word upon. We have the Holy Spirit with us, in us, and upon us. Three ways that the Holy Spirit works. He's with us and in us, but then the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And so that word upon is epi, E-P-I, if you're taking notes um, in the Greek. It's E-P-I. But I want you to see it in context of what Jesus is talking about. Because he said you're going to receive power. That's the reason for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to give us the power that we need to live our lives. So in verse 4, Jesus is with them, and he said not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. So Jesus had told the disciples to go. He said, go into the world and preach the gospel. But now he's telling them to wait. Before you go, wait. Why would he say, go, but then wait? Because he didn't want them to go out in their own power. He didn't want them to go out and try to do God's work in their own strength. Zechariah said, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, saith the Lord. So he wants us to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of our own energy, not in the power of our plans, our, our concepts, or ideas, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he said, wait for the promise of the Father. And then in verse 5, he says, for John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he, he kind of couples baptism with water with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But they're two different things. Even being born again is different from being baptized with the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in a minute. But being baptized with water is similar to being baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're similar in this way. When you get baptized, the word baptism means to be immersed or submerged. When we had the baptism last Sunday, when last Sunday, when last Sunday at the conference center, and the pastors were down there dunking these people under the water. They pushed them all the way under the water, pulled them back up. And that was symbolic of what's happened on the inside. They've been changed on the inside, and that was symbolic of that. They were declaring their faith in Jesus Christ publicly. When they came up out of that water, believe me, they were wet. If you or one of their friends or loved ones, they hugged you, you got wet also because they were soaked. They were saturated. Their clothes were wet. If they had on shoes, they were wet. Their shirts were wet. Their pants were wet. Everything about their hair was wet. They were totally saturated with that water. That's what it means to be baptized, to be immersed, to be saturated in water. Now take that same picture and apply it to being baptized with the Holy Spirit. If we believe that being immersed means to be 
or be baptized means to be immersed, then it means that I'm going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be saturated with God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is going to be oozing out of me. I'm going to be so soaked in God's Holy Spirit that if you get close to me, you're going to get wet. That's the idea. And then down in verse 8, he said, the purpose of this baptism is that you might receive power. The dunamis, the word power is dunamis or dynamite. We get this word dynamite from it, or dynamic. So what it means is that once you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be living your life in the dynamics of the Holy Spirit under His dynamite power. So what's it like when somebody gets baptized with the Holy Spirit? Because usually when I use the phrase baptism with the Holy Spirit, right away in some people's minds, weirdness comes to the minds because they've heard of weird stories or they've seen someone who is weird after they got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me suggest to you, they were already weird before they got baptized with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Don't blame weirdness on the Holy Spirit. He doesn't make us weird. He doesn't change us in that sense. It's not a personality change. It's just going to give us the power to live our lives for Christ. That's what Being a witness means that I'm going to live my life for somebody else. I'm going to die to me, myself, and I'm going to live my life for Christ. That's what, that's what a witness is. Witness is not so much what you say, but what you do. It's not what you say, but how you live your life. Because that's why Pastor Ted always says at the end of his message that we, might, that we might not just be hearers only, but doers, going out and living God's Word. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we'll find the first place that this happened in the New Testament other than Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And now, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. 120 people gathered together in the upper room. Verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there's a whole bunch of stuff in those verses. we just cover a few things. First of all, it was the day of Pentecost, and they spoke in tongues. That's why we refer to those people who speak in tongues as Pentecostals. That means I'm a Pentecostal. I happen to have that gift. Do I look weird? Don't answer that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it's the day of Pentecost, and uh, notice that they were sitting there. Uh, they were saying, they weren't running around, they weren't screaming, they weren't hollering, they were being weird. They're just sitting just like you are waiting for this event to take place, not knowing what it's going to be like, probably in their minds thinking, I wonder what it's going to be like. I wonder what's going to happen when we get baptized with the Holy Spirit. And while they're sitting there, in verse 3, tongues of fire began to show up on each person's head, and they heard a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Notice it says they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind in verse 2, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they heard this wind. Notice it doesn't say they felt the wind. They just heard the wind. They heard something like a sound of a wind. It doesn't say they felt the wind. It didn't say it was cold. It didn't say it was hot. It didn't say anything about the wind other than it was a mighty rushing wind. And they heard the sound like a mighty rushing wind. And then they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They heard the, they saw, they heard the sound 
And they saw, they looked around and they saw flames of fire. Let's suppose we're there 120 people. And we hear this sound like a mighty rushing wind. Maybe we had our eyes closed. Maybe we were praying. Maybe thinking, wondering. And we open up our eyes and we see flames of fire over everyone's head. If I was part of that group, I probably would have looked at you and saw the flames over your head. And because I wasn't burning, I went like this to see if I got the flames and I couldn't feel anything. And, and I looked at you and I said, I guess I didn't get it, did I? So, no, no, Jim, you've got it, but I don't feel anything. And, but, but you got it, Jim, and I, I don't feel anything. And make a point of it. It's not a feeling that we're looking for. If feelings come, it's okay. I've been in a place where there's five or six or a thousand men in an audience and give an invitation for men to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and find some great big burly guy, strong, muscly-looking guy, weeping, tears streaming down his face, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. See some skinny guy like, well, like me, <laughs> standing next to him, no emotion at all, but getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not the feeling that we're looking for. In fact, is these two things, the mighty rushing wind and... The flames like fire over their heads doesn't appear again in the New Testament. We only find this one place in the New Testament. But something we do find in the New Testament happening over and over and over again. So we can expect those two, these things that we're going to be looking at. I don't go around looking for flames of fire or mighty rushing wind. If it happens, that's cool. I haven't seen it happen yet. But two things I do look for. One is in verse 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So I look for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to find out what that means in just a minute. But then also, they began to speak with other tongues. So the question comes up, or the statement comes up, do you have to speak in tongues to get baptized with the Holy Spirit? There's all kinds of teaching about this. I find in the Scriptures that five places they did get baptized in the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Three of them, three places they did receive the gift of tongues. Two it doesn't say... So the only thing I can say is that in one of the gifts that is given most often is the gift of tongues. It's not the only evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are many evidences. In fact, I have a book on my table. We have a resource table on the book. And on that table is a book. In the back of that book, it's called Touched by His Spirit. In the back of that book is some 25 different gifts listed. 25 different gifts of the Spirit with a short description of each one. So don't get hung up on tongues. Don't let that frighten you. If you get it, good. If you don't get it, good. Be open to God. Better to say, God, whatever you want to give me, I'll receive. Because every gift from God is good. God doesn't give bad gifts. He only gives good gifts. All of his gifts are good. So we need to be open to each one. So what I find is that when somebody is filled with God's Holy Spirit, they begin to experience the supernatural giftings of God whether it's the gift of tongues, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gift of prophecy, the gifts we've been teaching on Tuesday nights, maybe it's the gift of teaching, what are the gift of evangelists, the gifts that God has given you begin to experience those gifts in your life. In the book of Acts, there's five places, and I mentioned to them, I want you to turn with me one more, and, um, in Acts chapter 8, because there's something I want you to see. In Acts chapter 8, Philip goes down to Samaria, and in Acts chapter 8, in verse 5, Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ. And so Philip, the evangelist, is preaching Jesus Christ. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. 
For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Wouldn't that be awesome? See people delivered and all that. And there was great joy in the city. So these people were being set free from the powers of darkness and being brought into the light of the kingdom of God. And then down in verse 14, these people were believers. It says, And now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they came down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if they're believers, don't they already have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. They have the Holy Spirit with them and in them at least. They have the Holy Spirit with them. He's alongside them. He came inside them when they became a believer. But they're missing something. That's why they sent Peter and John to them, so they might pray for them and lay hands on them. In verse 16, here's why they laid hands on they prayed for them. For as yet he, the Holy Spirit, had fallen happier upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So here's some people who were born again, baptized in water, and still not baptized with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's your place this morning. Maybe you've been born again. Maybe you got baptized in water last Sunday. But you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized with God's Holy Spirit. So what's a person like who's baptized with the Holy Spirit? Notice back in Acts chapter 2, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe the scripture teaches that there's a baptism. There's that one-time event when a person gets baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then there's a continual filling. We're continually being filled. Let me give you some examples of that. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 3, the third gospel. Luke chapter 3. And Luke chapter, Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John the Baptist is speaking. And he said, I indeed baptize with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John prophesies about this. And then in verse 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, meaning that they were baptized with water, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. So Jesus goes down in the water. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus with water. But notice what happened. While he prayed, the heaven was opened. And in verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon. There's that third word, a P, the Holy Spirit upon. The baptism with the Holy Spirit. Jesus gets baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's Jesus like after he's baptized in the Holy Spirit? Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, so he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now he shows us what it's like to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. So here Jesus is being led by the Spirit. I want you to notice something about the story. I don't have time to read it, but in the story it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What happened out in the wilderness? Jesus was tempted. But he didn't sin. You and I, we get tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to follow the temptation. You see, Jesus had victory over the temptation. And I believe you and I, as we're filled up with God's Holy Spirit, we'll begin to experience power over temptations. I have a CD. It's called Power Over the Flesh. You might want to check it out. But God's Spirit gives us a power over the flesh. So that's one example of how we begin to live our lives for Christ as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus also began his public ministry. He began his teaching ministry. He began his 
evangelistic ministry. He began his healing ministry. He began, every part of his ministry began after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. After he was filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Taking you to a lot of places, but you need to see these examples. Because somebody will ask me, well, what's it like? How can I know that I've been baptized with God's Holy Spirit? And somebody will say, well, you've got to speak in tongues. Well, let's find out if there's some other things that might happen. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us some examples of what it's like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and subsequently be being filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's going to give us what God's will is concerning this thing called being filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, he said, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with spirit. So that word be filled means be being filled. That was on a continual basis, not just one time, but be filled, being filled. How many of you have, well, I know most of you probably have a cell phone. And every night you plug in a cell phone, and what do you plug it in? To refill it. So it's continually filled. You want it to be continually filled, otherwise it conks out on you. It doesn't work. It doesn't have the power. So we need to be filled on a continual basis. Notice he said, don't be drunk with wine. You would think that Paul wouldn't have to tell that to some believers. Don't get drunk with wine. But he gives us a picture of somebody who's drunk. He wants them to think of somebody who's drunk. And uh, if you've ever watched anybody who's drunk, it can be funny because it's so silly if it wasn't so sad. But you see somebody who's drunk, they take great big steps to get up over something about this high, and you know, they do all kinds of weird things. They drive down the freeway in the wrong direction and kill people and do all kinds of strange things when they're under the influence of that, of that alcohol. When somebody is drunk, they're under the influence, aren't they? They get pulled over by the CHP. They get arrested for DUI, driving under the influence. They're under this influence. They do things that they wouldn't normally do if they weren't under this influence. Before I met my beautiful wife, before I got filled with God's Holy Spirit, I was a payday drunk. What that meant is I'd go out, work all week long, get my paycheck, go out and party, get drunk. Sober up on Monday morning, start over. Just to probably, that was my life. Now, I didn't just go out to get drunk. To get drunk, that's stupid. In my mind in those days, that was dumb. I wouldn't do that. So I had to have a reason. My reason for having a few drinks in me was that once I had a few drinks in me, I was a good dancer. I could get out of the dance floor and I could dance. My wife said, honey, uh-uh, you can't. <laughs> but you see, I was under the influence of that alcohol, and I could do things that I couldn't do otherwise. And so Paul once I had a picture of, don't, he's not saying, go get drunk on the Spirit. He's just saying, now be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, just like I was under the influence of alcohol and I could go out on the dance floor. Under the influence of God's Holy Spirit, I'll be able to do things that I wouldn't normally do or couldn't normally do. So what is a person like who's being filled up with God's Holy Spirit? Next verse, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Two things, speaking to one another. Now, it doesn't mean that I have to go around singing songs to you and you singing songs to me. What it means is that God's Holy Spirit is going to 
influence what comes out of my mouth. He's going to influence what I say. He's going to influence my actions if I'm living my life under his influence. When I hear a husband or wife putting the other down, ripping on them publicly, I know that they're not being led by the Holy Spirit. And they're not being filled with God's Holy Spirit. They're not being influenced by the Holy Spirit. Because later on he said, husbands, love your wives. See, if I have a problem with my wife, what I need to do is go home and love her. Like Christ loved the church. You know how Christ loved the church? He died for us. So I need to die for my wife. Die to myself rather than rip on her. And vice versa. So singing and making melody in heart, in other words, it's going to affect what comes out of my mouth. And then next is singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So what does that mean? Holy Spirit's going to influence my worship. I'm going to worship God. Now that doesn't mean just on Sunday morning when the band strikes up. doesn't mean that I'm only going to worship God when I hear a CD playing or when I've got the radio turned on. It means that my life is going to be a lifestyle of worship. I'm going to be giving worth to God with my life. My life is going to be one that praises God. It's going to be one that exalts God. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And then he goes on to say, and giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. So what he's saying is that God's Holy Spirit, as I allow him to influence my heart, he's going to give me a heart of thanksgiving. He's going to give me a heart of gratitude. You know, it's so easy to grumble and gripe, isn't it? At least it is for me. As I'm living my life under the influence, I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to be thankful for my wife, for my, the place that God has provided for me. I'm going to be thankful for the opportunity to come here with you and be with you this morning. I'm going to be thankful for a place where we can live in a country where, where we can worship God freely. I mean, he's going to create a thankful heart inside of me. <clears throat> and then in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. In other words, I'm going to be willing to submit to those who are in leadership over me. Wives, your husband is the head of the house. He's the leader whether you like it or not. Whether he takes the place of leadership, he is the head of the house. And you need to submit to him. Now listen, if my wife was up here teaching, you know what she would say? Ladies, it's hard. It's tough. It's difficult to submit to him in my own strength. She, she would want to tell you it's almost impossible sometimes. But under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he will influence her to be willing to submit to the leadership, even though it seems kind of dumb, even though it looks like a mistake to her. She'll be willing to submit. You know what she told me years ago? She said, honey, <clears throat> you've made a lot of mistakes. Thanks a lot for telling me that. <clears throat> but she said, and I suffered for every one of them. <laughs> and then she said, but you've also made some right decisions when you listen to the Holy Spirit. And I've been blessed by them. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Whether we're married, single, working, stay-at-home moms, you work harder than everybody else. Every part of our life, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether it's Sunday morning worship, but it's studying the Word of God. You see, even, the Holy, even to understand God's Word, we need the Holy Spirit because He's the teacher. 
He's the one who teaches. 